Hello, welcome to this episode of Bipolar Black Girl. My name is Mayor Fortin. I'm your host. Today I have with me Dr. Ajua Aku. Dr. Aku is a psychologist. Um, she focuses on um, mental health well-being. And um, she's the founder of sisterpeace.com website. Hi, Dr. Aku, how are you today? Greetings. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm so excited to be with you again and very happy to talk about ADHD. Well, I'm really happy that you could join us um, to this episode. I'm, I did an intro, like a brief intro into bipolar disorder a few episodes ago. So I wanted to have you back so that we could talk about ADHD, since I understand that that's kind of what you're focusing on at the moment. Um, it is one of my focuses. I do three things. One, I do uh, everything under the banner of cultivating inner peace. Because that's it's important to me that the whole world learn how to cultivate inner peace. And I definitely believe that if we were all focusing on our inner peace, we'd have a more peaceful world and a lot less conflict. So I teach people in corporations how to cultivate inner peace so they improve productivity and the environment of the workplace. I focus on Black women, as you said, because I am a Black woman. And I think although needing inner peace and dealing with stress and learning how to keep stress from becoming toxic and um, chronic and then toxic is universal. There are some issues that are especially ours as Black people, as Black women. So I do have cultivated uh, Sister Peace, which is a group that's just for Black women. And so you can find out more about that at sisterpeace.com. And then the third thing that I do is focus on ADHD, and I'm starting an ADHD coaching program starts next week. And that is so important because it is something that I'm surrounded by, people living with ADHD. My children have ADHD, and uh, as a psychologist, this has always been an area of interest. I've uh, started out my work doing developmental psychology, so I worked with children that had autism, ADHD. Uh, and things like that. And so I've always had a few clients that had a, have ADHD. I also have neurodiversity. I have dyslexia. So I, I, when I was going through school, I needed accommodation. So I understand some of the issues from the inside. But during COVID, my youngest child, who was 12 then, really had a breakdown when we moved to the virtual schooling. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, this child needs all of what I bring as mom, but also all of what I can bring as a professional. Right. So I went back to school, so, so to speak. I did a 50-hour class with the Amen Clinic, and the Amen Clinic focuses on brain health mm -hmm. and learned a lot about how the brain works and how to, to read brain scans and a lot about ADHD. And then after that, I every conference I could go to, every book that I could read, I dived in full, you know, full force in figuring out ADHD. And it was so helpful to bring me inner peace, right? more patience and understanding, and so helpful with my little one. It's just been amazing, the transformation, how this child was so distraught at points, practically suicidal, because mm -hmm. just, just overwhelmed. And we were able to negotiate things together and figure out systems together and navigate things together. And I was able to be less frustrated as a parent, you know, because sometimes you just want to just do the homework. This is just what you have to do. I did my homework. Just do your homework. And 
understanding better how this child's brain works and what what they need. Now, this actually was just we're, we're transitioning now. It's um, the beginning of the school year, mm-hmm. and this just came up where dealing with math homework, algebra two, which I'm not actually sure I ever took algebra two, but algebra two homework, <laughs> and the the poor child was in tears. And so I was able to be empathetic and connect and say, you know what, you're working their hardest. This is just too much for right now. Stop this evening, go take a bath. Let's circle back the next morning, still distraught. You need a mental health day, take a day off. Let's get you recharged. And the poor little thing in the morning was like, I don't even, I'm so depleted. I'm at zero. I don't even know how to recharge. But Mm -hmm. by the afternoon, we went for a walk together, which was so lovely. I can't believe my now 15-year-old wanted to hold my hand while we crossed the street. How sweet is that? Um, And then by the evening, would you believe they were able to do the math on their own? It was really just depleted, just not getting enough rest not getting enough to eat. So, you know, we're, we're in the process of figuring that out, but it was so amazing and powerful to me that it was really about being depleted. And once we got this kid recharged, then they were able to do everything. And, you know, just, just think about that for a moment, how frustrating it can be as a parent, not understanding this, right? Well, it was frustrating for me as a child, not understanding it. I, you know, I um, only recently started doing like sort of a deep dive into ADHD um, and I was diagnosed, you know, 16 years ago, 17 years ago. And um, I've been learning a lot about like, like how, what I needed to be successful and no, you know, first of all, I wasn't diagnosed and, you know, so nobody knew. And I don't think people knew as much about ADHD and the 80s than they do now you know what I mean so especially since black girls especially went underdiagnosed yeah so in raising your son um I can understand I completely understand the recharge because I have very bad um uh depressive episodes when I when my medication is off like Mm -hmm. if I don't take it within a certain amount of time so, um, and I didn't know how badly um, ADHD affects m- your mood. It's so really- can you talk a little bit more about that? Um, yes. And one of my favorite books, of course, I can't remember the name of the author. I'm so sorry. But the name of the book is Your Brain is Not Broken. And okay. what I love, and the first name of the author is Tamara, but I can't remember her last name at this moment. But what I love about this book is she is one of the few that I think really focuses in, on the emotions of ADHD. So many books talk about the um, the prefrontal cortex and, and organization and, and time and, and those kinds of challenges. But understanding that very often with ADHD also comes anxiety and depression. These things seem to be very related in the brain. And so when you understand that, though, you also understand that some of the same things that work for any other kind of anxiety and depression also can help with ADHD. So that really means getting proper rest, getting enough sleep, um, eating well, nutritious food. And so, (laughs) you know, but these things, because we literally are what we eat and see all these things are related. And so when we don't do those things, then we're starting at a deficit. So if your brain is already challenged in this area and now you haven't had enough sleep, 
and you're surviving on sugar and caffeine and not whole healthy food, then you're taking a brain that's already got some challenges and giving it more challenges because it's not getting, it doesn't have the fuel and the things it needs in order to be at its best. So that's a lot of when we see the anxiety increasing, um, some social, my, my little one has some social anxiety that can come up and it comes up especially when they're tired, when they're not well fed. So, but understanding that, and when you understand that this is, that it may not really be reality-based, and that's the hard thing with anxiety and depression, mm-hmm. that feelings, feelings are not facts. Feelings right. are information, but they're not right. facts. And so when you understand that your feelings are not necessarily related to something that happened in your, in your reality, then you can start to evaluate. You know, mm. is this something that I really need to be anxious about? You can do what we call in psychology, reality testing. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you're walking down a deserted street at midnight in Manhattan, is this something you should be worried about? Yes. Is, is, that makes sense to have some anxiety. If you're walking down the same street at noon yeah, and you feel the same level of anxiety, does that make a lot of sense? Probably not. It's something to evaluate. You know, who who knows? Something else could be going at night. I feel more comfortable walking alone than Uh with all the people. Okay. So that's something to understand about yourself. And when you understand that, though, then you can make choices accordingly. Now, I also don't like crowds. Um, So I prefer to to not be in crowds as much as possible. And being in crowds makes me uncomfortable. But understanding is this is this a crowd of people that are all excited and happy and probably safe so am i uncomfortable because i just don't like to be around a lot of people and it's Mm -hmm. it's just too much energy or am i uncomfortable because there's really a threat to my safety right and and understanding the difference again so you can act accordingly because there's sometimes when you may not like being in crowds but it makes sense for you to, to to do that and you can make an informed choice or you can decide, I don't like being crowds and I don't want to do that and be clear about what you're doing. So it's really about understanding yourself well, I think, for, right. for anybody in your body. I think, though, that it's hard in the moment, at least for me, it's hard in the moment to um, recognize, you know, to even pause, you know, because I'm already on overdrive. Yes. So it's, it's hard for me to slow down enough to even remember to take my meds sometimes you know my husband has to check in with me when i'm acting a certain way so um i I, so like i'm learning more to like breathe through it but you know just in that moment it's very hard to recognize that the, the feelings aren't real it is and that's where where some practice takes place you, you you have to have experience you have to know yourself pre-planning you mm-hmm. know so that you you as much as possible of course we can't pre-plan everything but as much as possible to anticipate right? Right. if you know you're going to Man- manhattan in new york is crowded it's almost always crowded right so if you know mm-hmm. you're going to manhattan then to anticipate well what might i do if there's a crowd how can I, you know, how can I make moves there? But I think the important thing you just said was breathing. Breathing is the most important thing that you can do when you're in those moments where you can't think clearly and when strong feelings are taking over. The yeah. way our bodies are wired, we have this fight, flight, and freeze system, this 
system that is there to protect us. Like we all animals have it. Um, it's what we all need is what we share with other animals. But in the animal kingdom, when a lion is chasing a zebra, the zebra's fight, flight, and freeze system is either going to get the zebra out of the situation or the lion's going to catch the zebra and it's going to be over. And all that happens in a matter of a couple of minutes. Right. For human beings, like a big exam, a crowded space, like all of these things can set up our fight, flight, and freeze system. And there's no lion that's going to take over and it, cause it to end in a few minutes. This can be chronic. It can be um, chronic. Right, that we are feeling like this. And chronic stress leads to toxic stress. And it makes it very hard for us in those moments to think clearly because literally, literally, when we are in fight, flight, and freeze mode, part of our brain gets disconnected. The part that's thinking, the, the language part, the prefrontal cortex, that mm -hmm. part gets disconnected because if a lion were chasing you, you don't really have time to think, oh, should I run? Should I hide? Like, there's no time for all of that. So your our brains have developed this way of shutting off the thinking and just acting on instinct. That again works well, very well if you're being chased by an animal, a predator. Doesn't mm -hmm. work so well for the licensing exam I had to take as a psychologist. Doesn't work so well if you are uh, going to a concert and everybody's just really happy and excited about the music, but it's crowded. So. Anxiety just kind of exactly balled <laughs> up in me, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and the part of our brain, the fight, flight, and freeze part that's there to protect us, it causes our hearts to beat faster. It causes glucose to be released into our bloodstream so that we can have the energy that we need to run or fight. All of those things are automatic. We don't have any control over them. The only thing we have control over is our breathing of all of those systems that get activated. And so when we learn to breathe deeply, and I mean deeply, like belly breathing to the bottom of your lungs, this little, mm -hmm. what we do naturally, the shallow breathing doesn't, doesn't do anything to the system. But if you breathe deeply, what you're basically doing is telling your fight, flight, and freeze system, no emergency here. You can, you can go offline. Everything's okay. And then your thinking can come back online. And then you can right. start to evaluate, is this fear based on something you know, that I really need to attend to right now? What can I do in this situation? You can start to evaluate and think about those things. But you have to, so if the one thing, if you can remember to breathe, like that's the one thing. If you can try to remember to breathe in those situations, whenever you're feeling really strong emotions, and that's anger, anxiety, depression, any of those big, strong emotions, if you can remember to breathe, then you can get your thinking back online, and then you can start to evaluate what you're going to do. Yes, that is, that's very helpful. And whenever people ask me, like, you know, what's my best way of dealing with my diagnoses or the, the problems that are associated with it? And, you know, it is just breathe. Like, there's nothing because I'm, I'm kind of stuck, you know, and it's like, so it, it, it really, um, it clears my mind you know what I mean? Of like everything, because my mind is always going so quickly, you know? Mm -hmm. So once I start freaking out, it's like trembling and shaking and crying and, and this can last for hours. Yeah. You know, if I don't get my, if I don't get my meds, cause it's very, like I get to the point where it's like, I can't breathe through it anymore. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I've been like that since a child, since I was a child. Uh -huh. Um, I um, was a very sensitive child and I've noticed, or I've been reading that 
um, children or people with ADHD tend to be sort of hypersensitive, like they don't take criticism well, um, all of these things. Um, so how, how, how do you, as a, do as a doctor or a psychologist, how do you help with that? How do you like, like, did, did your son show the display those symptoms as well? Oh, I, I love that you said that. Yes, my little one definitely is very, very sensitive. And it's important to understand that that hypersensitivity is something that is very common with ADHD. And so much of it, part of it can be very self-critical. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. So the person living with ADHD already feels like that. Why is it that I can't do the things that other people can do? Why can't I focus like other people can focus? So, so some of it's self-critical. And then when other people then, uh, like parents, and I say this as, as, as a mom, now, now the homework's not in get, getting done, right? And what we normally would want to do would be kind of to criticize. Well, why can't you get your homework done? I don't understand why you can't get your homework done. And what, that, what, what happens is then the... the my child, and, and I see this with my clients as well, then you add, you, you're adding to what's already the self-critical and then you get shut down. Right. And what is much more effective, but it requires the parent to not be frustrated or the spouse <laughs> to not be <laughs> yeah. frustrated so that you can do this. What works better is to make an empathetic connection. So tell me, tell me what's happening that you can't get your homework done, right? Right. Tell me about it. Tell me what's going on in your mind. Tell me why you're upset. Let, let's try to talk about it. Now, sometimes, you know, they can be so upset, it's hard to talk. But just that connection, the, the fact that I'm asking and say, I want to hear and understand your experience, as opposed to get this done. Why aren't you getting this done? I don't understand this. Right? I'm asking to help understand it. And so that does two things. One, that empathetic connection, right? We heal through connection. That is what's, that's the power of human beings to remember that connecting is so healing. So when somebody, and I, again, this is why my little one was holding my hand as we crossed the street. I was, I was shocked. It's like 15 year old, you want to hold mommy's hand? But um, they wanted to hold my hand because we have this connection, which has been forged through struggles through with ADHD in the last few years and, and working on it together. So when you have that connection and you can be patient, then once you can get the information, then together you can figure out what to do about it. Right. But if you don't have the connection, if you're frustrated and then you get critical and that just makes them frustrated, then you have disconnection. And then very often the person living with ADHD shuts down or, or you know, I've worked with some parents with teenagers. They're like, well, if that's who you think I am anyway, then I'm just going to go really do that. Right. And so then the teenagers get... <laughs> more wild and out right. of control and um, fall into those stereotypes because, or go into self-soothing, right? And self-soothing is, it can be rocking. Um, it can be, you know, my little one video game playing, but for teenagers who are already a little hypersexual because that's just part of the adolescent brain development, that can be hypersexuality, right? You know, doing right. things that are not necessarily what we would want them to do. And so now you, mom gets mad, you know, you know, why are you with this boy or whatever? And the teenager who doesn't feel understood, doesn't feel heard, doubles down on what you don't want them to do. You just explained my entire adolescence. Yeah. I, I've, you know, I don't 
I can't blame my parents or anything. It's just, you know, parenting is different. We know more now, but, um, you know, I was, I was criticized. I was called lazy. So I started to feel lazy. I started to think that I was lazy and like, you know, I was, I didn't get good grades because I, I just didn't care kind of, you know, and like, I would stare out the window all day and I would talk. Oh my God. I'm in so much trouble for talking. And like, um, you know, self-soothing. I sucked my thumb till I was in seventh grade. And after that, I started smoking. And now I like shake my legs or I have to, I'm very like tactile. I like to feel like, you know, satiny material. And mm-hmm. and I also like in my moments of, of like approaching it the way that you were saying, approaching it with like more empathy, like, and more actual feeling you know like when my husband touches me it brings me back yes. you know sort of like especially if I'm like zoned out which mm-hmm. happens often like it brings me he brings me back to um You're now to the now right I also find that it's helpful when he's not around and my cat's around that I you know if I start petting my cat then that has sort of the same effect yes and a weighted blanket I, um, I have one of those too. <laughs> yes, weighted blankets are great because it's also another way of um, t- tapping into that tactile sensation. The pressure of the weighted blanket mm-hmm. also helps many people with ADHD feel feel better. So, you know, hugs and hugs are healing for everybody. Right? Oh yeah, everybody. Find, hugs are just there, there's research that shows hugs are healing for everybody, but especially when you are, uh, as you said, zoned out. When you're feeling over uh, very emotional then that kind of, and it's important to know though, that that is very often, but everybody's an individual. There's some other people who don't want to be touched. Right. So to, to get to know that about yourself and to honor it about the people that we are in relationship with. But uh, I wanted to get back to something else you said, the word lazy. I wish I could remove that from the language because so many people, you know, feel, use that word and accuse their children, especially but spouses also that, that are living with ADHD. Because as you said, we, we're learning more now. And there's so many people who fell through the cracks and didn't get diagnosed for various reasons. And so now they're adults because it doesn't go away. One of the misconceptions is that right. ADHD is a childhood disorder. It's often identified as childhood, but it doesn't go away. It's, a, it's neurodiversity. It's a mm-hmm. different, and, and I like to, even though I'm a psychologist and psychologists are doctors and we label everything as disorders, it really, it, so I'd like to get rid of lazy and I'd like to get rid of the D, the disorder D's um, in ADHD. I like to think of it as attention, difference, hyperactivity, difficulty, right? Instead of right. disorder, because it's neurodiversity. Right? I don't feel right. broken because I'm dyslexic, right? It's just, it's a, it's a difference. So I have some things that I have challenges with. I couldn't spell my way out of a paper bag to save the life of either of my children. Thank goodness nobody would ask me to do such a ridiculous thing. But that that's just the way my brain is. And right. so it doesn't help to feel like your brain is broken, right? That you have a disorder. This is neurodiversity. It's a different way of having your brain wired, which comes with superpowers and gifts, um, as well as challenges. And it's about identifying those superpowers and applying them to the challenges so that in, in finding ways to work with the challenges. So being lazy is another label that if we could get rid of it, it would be so helpful because it, it, it just stops everything, you know? So mom accuses child of being lazy. 
What can you do with that? Child says, okay, I'm lazy. Then why bother? Why bother trying? Uh, as opposed to mom says, what is stopping you from getting the homework done? I forget about the homework. Okay, well, then let's set an alarm. Let me check in with you when you get home to see what your homework is and help you find a way to not forget about it. We have a solution now as opposed to you're just lazy, right? Or right. the homework is, is, it's hard for me to stay focused on the homework. There's stuff for that. Then let, let's break it down then. Let's break it down into smaller pieces. Let's break it down into smaller time blocks. Make sure you have a snack when you get home. You, let's work for 20 minutes and then take a five minute break and then go back. Like there's solutions. There's no solution right. to being lazy. Lazy is a character assassination that just makes somebody feel worse about themselves. There's nothing you can do with that. Yeah. So, so please, nobody ever around me say lazy because I'm going to, you know. Get that. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. Yes. Um, um, oh, wait, there was something I was going to ask you um, about. Oh, about like the brain activity. Like, like it's so tiring to at the end of the day, even if I've not moved a muscle, I am beat because I've spent the whole day thinking. Yes. just Thank constantly you. and it's almost like i can't stop it well it is like i can't stop it <laughs> yes and um meditation is really good to help and it doesn't stop your brain from thinking our brains are, are made to think it's, again right. it's a continuum some more than others um but our brains are made to think so meditation doesn't stop your brain from thinking. There might be some meditations for the monks that are up in the hills somewhere that don't have any you know, worries. They may eventually learn how to stop their brains from thinking. Most of us, it's about channeling the thinking, focusing. One of the, my favorite things to do is the breath square. I think we did that when I was on before. And I love doing the breath square because it anchors your thinking. Right? It gets right. you thinking about counting the numbers. You know, when I do it, I often lead it with my finger drawing a, a square in the air. I suggest mm -hmm. that people are not looking at me, they draw a square around whatever screen they're on uh, because then, then you're focusing your brain. When you focus your brain on something and give it some anchors, then it gives it a, like, it's like a mini vacation from all those thoughts swirling all over the place. But that also right. takes practice because the other thing that happens is people try these things and they say, oh, I can't meditate. They, they give up the first, first, second time. Oh, I can't meditate. So you start with 30 seconds, you know, like not even a minute. You can start with 30 seconds. You start with um, trying different kinds of meditation. The, the breath square that I lead, there's moving meditation, which can be also very helpful in anchoring your brain, getting your body moving so that mm. there's other ways to give your brain a break. But you are so right. If you're thinking all day, and if you're experiencing strong emotions, that is the same as running a marathon. And that's why you're right. so exhausted because it takes still takes a lot of energy. Even if you're not moving your body, it still takes a lot of energy. Just like if you're taking a class and you know it's a hard class and you're busy focusing and concentrating all day, then you're tired. Right? It's the same thing. It makes perfect sense. Right. And I also tend to, when I do... Um, when my meds are like at their peak, hyper focusing, which I, I do anyway, but sometimes it's like I forget to eat, I forget to go to the bathroom, I I just am into whatever I'm doing for hours. Yes. You know, if I'm writing, I mean it's good because I'm productive, but like 
at the same time, it's like I often, you know, I get up and I'm just like, oh my God, I just got to, you know, I just got to relax. I just got to, you know, shake it off or do some, it is like I played a basketball game. It's like, I just got to, you know, loosen the muscles and just, you know, and it, so it is, so I understand what you're saying that it's like running a marathon and it, you know, and, and also with the meditation, I'm one of those people who could never get to clearing your mind, you know, like I still don't understand how to just not think or just, you know, clear your mind and, it's a, it's unrealistic. It's an unrealistic goal for most people. It's especially an unrealistic goal for most people who are living with ADHD. So that's, again, why I say the goal is not to clear your mind. The goal is to try to focus your mind on whatever we're, we're doing. If that's focusing on your breathing, focusing on me counting numbers, and to just bring your mind back as it starts right. to wander, as it starts to think about things, to try to gently bring it back to focusing on whatever the focus is at the moment, whether that's movement, you know, um, whatever the focus is to bring your mind back to the focus, but not to try to clear your mind because that's why, where frustration happens. Cause you think, well, I can't do that. I couldn't clear my mind. Well, again, most people can't, I think that takes, not that it's not humanly possible, but I think the people who can clear their minds are the monks that are up on a mountain that, you know, don't have very many responsibilities and um, right. spend 20 hours a day practicing meditation i'm sure they eventually learn how to clear their minds but for most of us focusing our minds should be the goal right okay um i was also thinking about you uh when you were saying um about losing track or or losing focus like i'll even do i i've lost focus 45 times during this interview you know um <laughs> So it, it often it's embarrassing because then I can't remember what I was going to say. And then I can't really, cause now I'm thinking about what I want to say and not really hearing what you're saying. Do you understand? Oh, so yeah. is there a way to like, that I can, you know, avoid, or is there a way to sort of not do that so often just to relax, I guess, into it? Relax into it to focus on breathing as you're listening. Again, to, to try to, to, to calm your brain down, to keep your prefrontal cortex as connected as possible. Because mm -hmm. when we get excited, right, even excited in a good way, like you're excited about what I'm talking about and you're getting into it, but that level of emotion starts to activate the fight, flight, and freeze system. Even though there's no emergency here, you're just heightened emotion activates the same system. So the more mm -hmm. you breathe as you're listening, try to focus on breathing deeply, the more you'll be able to keep the prefrontal cortex engaged, the more you'll be able to stay focused and the more you'll be able to, to, to connect. And also it's okay to say, you know what, while, while I'm doing this, I might need to take a couple of notes, right? If, if that works for you. For some people it works, for some people that it doesn't work for me because I can't read my own handwriting, part of the dyslexia thing. Um, right. But I take notes, type it. And I can touch type print very well. So mm. finding a system that works for you and if taking a notes and those notes can be just, you know, one big word that gets you back anchored. The, the, but I want to remember lazy. I want to make sure that we get back to lazy. So you just write down lazy so that you're not totally disconnecting. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I have my pen and paper. You sure do. So, so that's okay. Sometimes when we figure out these systems, though, it's sometimes helpful to just let other people know. Right. So that they don't think right. that you're, you're not paying attention. You're like, this is 
this is the way I pay attention. I have to occasionally take a note. Um, so if you see me looking down, you know, I am still listening to you. I just need to take a note. And it's also okay to say, and you know what? Sometimes I do need to ask you to say something again because you know I'm I'm so excited and you know think you can you can frame it in a way that sounds positive, but I get so excited yeah. and so you know um, about what you said. I want to make sure I keep it so please don't be offended if I ask you to, to repeat. I just want to make sure I really understand you. That kind of thing. When you get people at the heads up, most people are really able to, to roll with it. And if they're not, right. then you probably don't want to talk to them anyway. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Cause when I get excited, I'm like a little, like a little dog, <laughs> just so excited and, you know, and I do, and I forget, you know, even what you know, not what I'm excited about, but like, but like, why am I so excited about it? Or, or, you know, what's going to happen? I'm so worried about what's going to happen next. Dude, I get so excited. And I just want to know what's going to happen next. And, and I, and I often lose the moment because I'm so focused on, you know, what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. So that I, so even getting to that, even getting to that point, even being able to like live in that moment is hard for me. And that's where the practicing some meditation helps to help right. get back to the moment. It, it's it's basically it's brain training, right? Mm-hmm. Our brains are although this neurodiversity is how your brain is wired. That doesn't mean that you can't train it to be even better and to to focus these things and to get stronger. It's it's just like you train your muscles, um, or you do anything else. Nobody gets behind the wheel of a car and is taking the driving exam the first day. You have to practice and your body gets better at knowing how to operate the car. Well, this is the same thing. It's um, it just requires some practice, but the more you practice, then the better you'll get at focusing. But what happens very often, especially when focusing is already a challenge, then you get frustrated. And so to have to understand that, you know, you might have to start, you know, where somebody else can start with a minute of practice. You might start with 30 seconds or 20 seconds even and build up, but you're capable, knowing that you're capable, right? Not getting rid of that lazy word and knowing that it's not about being lazy. It's about finding the right systems. And that's what Mm -hmm. I teach the people that I coach. It's not about being lazy. It's not about being broken. It's about understanding. I love helping people better understand the basics of how their brains are wired and then finding systems that work for you and then using the systems that work for you. Right. I think because I was diagnosed so late, I already naturally developed systems. Um, And even as we are talking, um, I'm, I'm using the breathing to focus on you and to be more in the moment. And it works really well. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? That yeah. And, but I'm one of those people who like, you know, I might forget I'll have to, but I like to run before I walk. So it's like, if it doesn't come immediate, if there's no result immediately, I don't want to do it or that, you know, so I, I, I feel like even trying to do it while you're explaining it helps me get there faster. Yeah. And that's something else that's very common with ADHD. Um, the reward system is a little different than it is for some some others. So for mm-hmm. one child, one person, they might be able to wait until the end of the week or the end of the month to get their reward, you know, allowance, whatever it would be. For people living with ADHD, you need the reward right now. 
Like that, that kind of delayed thing doesn't seem to work. And it's just, again, how the brain's wired. But once you know that, then you can work with it. I had one mom who wanted to get her child to do chores. Like, you know, we all, all parents, that's part of living in a house. You should be doing chores. And what I had her do, the child's favorite, we, first we had to find a reward, which can also be sometimes challenging. What is rewarding to this person? The only mm-hmm. thing that this kid was really rewarded by was candy, which you know, I'm not really trying to support more sugar because sugar is actually not the best thing for ADHD either, but you, you, you work with what you've got. And so what we started out with was cutting up these candies into little teeny pieces. And then after uh, they worked together first, uh, child and mom, Work together first in the chores. You know, mom made a list of what the chores were, show the child how to do them. Just for the child watching how to do the chores, got the reward, right? Mm-hmm. And then when her daughter was able to do the chores on, on her own, she, she got the reward. So, so for every little step, she got a little piece of this candy. And mm-hmm. would you believe that after, I think it was like six weeks, it didn't take all that long. The kid was able to go through the list and do the chores on her own and get the, the reward at the end, right? But it, right. it required this kind of the system setting things up. And if you don't understand that, again, parents just get frustrated or we just get frustrated with ourselves and don't understand some things, breaking things down in smaller pieces. I suggest that like with the to-do list, make sure that it's really small things on your to-do list because you feel good when you check it off. Right. right. That's that a reward. Checking it off. I do that all the time. I make yeah. lists, check it off as I go. <laughs> exactly. So instead of clean the house, right, that's huge. Right. Uh, put the dishes in the dishwasher. Check. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. That's a smaller item. And you know what? For some people or at the beginning, that might even be too big. So you might even need to do something smaller than that. And that's okay mm. to do something smaller than that. So, it, you know, it might be put four plates away, check. And just building a system that works for you and understanding. But when you understand, that's why the foundation of this is understanding. That's that's one of my foundations when I do coaching is really helping people understand how the brain works. Because when you understand it, then you can have patience and then you can figure out systems that work. But when you don't understand it, then you just have frustration. I don't understand why. Well, let me help you understand why. The other thing you said that I wanted to get back to is, well, the other part of what I do, which I think is special in coaching ADHD, is I focus on superpowers. I believe that all people with ADHD have superpowers. And superpowers are like, like hyperfocus is a superpower if used well, right? Any, anything mm-hmm. can be used you know, for you or against you. So it, as you said, very productive, but you still have to make sure you, you eat. Creativity is another superpower that's very often associated with ADHD. And mm-hmm. so, I, for example, I had a college student who was really frustrated because she, uh, Emily was her name. She was really frustrated. And, and I changed the names, you know, for, for coaching purposes. But it, it's sometimes helpful to refer to somebody by a name. So Emily came to me. She was frustrated. She was um, a college student. She was having difficulty focusing in class having difficulty getting her homework done. Because, you know, the problem with college is that you have to take all these classes. Some of them you might be very interested in, but some of them you don't care about, but you just have to do it. Right? That's part of the college life. That's part of what you oh, have yeah. to do. So um, as I worked with Emily and did my, I have this assessment that I do for superpowers. 
and we discovered together her superpower was creativity. Okay, we've got it now. We understand that creativity is your superpower, so let's use it productively. So creativity for Homer, instead of just doing, you know, um, just trying to write essays, creating uh, mind maps, right? Those are kind of more visual where you, you make circles and you draw and you put words in circles. So using more visual and creative ways of getting her at least started in her work, if not, um, mm -hmm. depending on what it was, um, doing it and working with other people. So for something like did, really didn't like math creating a study group for math so that she would one helps with accountability right because if you're in a study group and people are expecting you then you're more likely to to get there and get it done and two a little more fun right doing things with other people and um, being able to be more creative in terms of how they did the work you know solving problems together um testing each other so that kind of creativity was really helpful for for Emily. And then this is not so much in the creativity realm, but just having Emily sit in the front of the class, fewer distractions, right? Because everybody's mm -hmm. behind you. But people, some people figure that out. Some people don't figure it out because because th there's this tension, right? Emily wanted to hide in class, especially the classes she didn't like. So when you want to hide, you tend to sit in the back. But sitting in the back doesn't help you focus because then you can see the professor and all the students. So everybody right. that is going in their bag to get something and, you know, chewing a piece of gum, like all of that becomes distractions. When you're sitting up front, not that you don't hear people behind you, but there's fewer distractions, right? You're more able to focus. So helping Emily understand that so that she could fight the, I want to hide and understand that your wanting to hide is not going to help you do well in the class. You really need to be up front. Um, so oh, yeah. I was definitely a hider. I knew the answers, but I just didn't want to, I didn't want people to like look at me or I was more afraid of not having the right answer. Yeah. Like if the answer was wrong, oh God, that would have devastated me. So yeah. I just kept it to myself and just, you know, just head down, slept a lot in class. They took me from college prep to general prep. So it was like, I didn't even get biology. I got like life science. And um, so obviously I was not prepared for college. And, um, but, you know, I, I excelled in my career or in a career after um, high school. So I, I feel like, you know, I'm on the cusp of that generation that, that needs a degree. You know, I think mine was the last generation that didn't have to have a college degree or you could still get by and have, make a good living with a, without a college degree. Mm -hmm. But I, changed careers in my early 30s and I didn't have a bachelor's and everybody wanted a bachelor's so I go back in and I get a bachelor's and based upon my high school performance at which point I did have a 0.9 that I'm very proud of mm -hmm. um I excelled in college mm -hmm. like all of a sudden it made sense and it was like I knew what to do and I was goal oriented and mm -hmm. um I could I could write, I could do whatever I wanted to. And then while I was at UCLA, I was offered Adderall, you know, kids and, you know, kids in college, they're crazy. Mm -hmm. And um, I took it and it was just like the whole world opened up. Like, oh my God, like it can be this easy, <laughs> like, you know? And, um, you know, and then as far as like study groups go, like, I, because I talk too much and I like, 
I'm like, I want I want everything to be a party kind of. So I'm really bad in in study groups. Like people don't want me there. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's, it's about knowing yourself and, and, and what works best for you. It's not surprising to me that when you went to college older, right, you, mm-hmm. you were ready and you were clear and you, you knew what you wanted, where it's much harder when you don't know, because it's a lot of it is about motivation. You were more motivated right. um, by that point. Right. And you probably also in your career had built up some more life skills and how to, mm-hmm. to motivate yourself. Um, so that's important. The other thing that's important is, although, yes, many things require a college degree, there are still things out there that don't. Like, I don't think you have oh, to go to college to be a chef, right? So so helping people living with ADHD really assess who they are and what they want, because so many people get the message, you have to go to college, you have to go to college. Well, you have to go to college depending on what you want to do. My little right. one wants to be I a think college can be overrated. Exactly. If you want to yeah. be a lawyer, you got to go to college. Right. You got to finish high school and you got to do well. If you want to be a chef, if you want to be a personal trainer, then you don't necessarily have to go to college. Like you can go to college and do those things, but you don't have to go to college. But you have to make sure you find the right programs. But those can be really if you're especially if you're somebody that really needs to move all the time and you like those things, then those can be really good careers that don't require college. And so. Right. But being able to, again, have somebody that has empathy and is willing to listen and try to understand who you are and help you understand who you are and what you want, makes that makes all the difference. Because otherwise you just get, well, you know, you should go to college, but I, I don't want to go to college. I don't like college. You know, I don't want to take this math class when all I really want to do is cook then or this math, you know, it doesn't I don't see how it's related. So helping people make those connections is so, so important. So I, I love working with, with people to really help them understand their superpowers. Like that's, that's one of my favorite things because again, it helps you feel less broken. And the more mm-hmm. whole and strong and good you feel about yourself, the more likely you are to answer those questions in class. And, that, and, and as you get more confident, right? And understand that everybody makes mistakes and that's okay. But that's how it, you need the confidence to outweigh some of the anxiety. Right. And so right. that confidence comes from understanding your superpowers. So that's what yes. everybody. Yes, that's you. And I also get a little confidence from mania because, you know, because oh, I'm bipolar. Oh, but like I have the wor- the lowest self-esteem. I My self-esteem is still kind of not where it should be at 51. Mm-hmm. Um, I... Um, like I always would be told, you know, or hear, you know, you're so smart, but she's so smart, but, you know, and it was always the, but, and, and, and I couldn't understand why people thought I was smart if I wasn't, if I had no proof of it, yeah. you know, which is why I hate grades, but like, mm-hmm. um, it, it seemed like I couldn't stick to anything, mm-hmm. you know, I, 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 um, like everything was a social occasion for me because I felt like I could excuse my language bullshit (laughs) better than I, than I, you know, could use my brain. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't think I was capable because I, and part of that was because I didn't have a college degree at that time just for myself, you know? So then, you know, I go on and get my master's and I enter a PhD program because I can't do anything small. 
you know, but by the time I get to my first year PhD program, and now I'm teaching as well in my first year with no teaching experience, I'd never TA'd before. Mm. I'm responsible for 30 kids grades now. And, Mm. and it's a subject, I mean, it's a class that I never took, but it's like a, a subject that I understand, but there were still like parts of it that I was just like, yeah, I don't know. This is all new to me. And and I'm trying to read three books a week, you know? So I, I burned out and like, Understood. just, I mean, I, I crashed so hard that um, I feel like I'm still getting out of it. And I've been away from grad school for 11 years. Wow. You know, that, that sounds like a, a recipe for a major crash and a bit of disaster. Uh, yeah. yeah just too much on your plate. And I think that that is something that we all have to evaluate. And that's something that's related to inner peace and not so much just ADHD, that we all have to Mm. look at how much we put on our plates and really evaluate um, and not put too much on our plates and and overstress ourselves. Because again, that's when stress, which we all have, stress becomes chronic when we have too much on our plates. We don't have enough time for the things that replenish us, that give us um, energy back. And then that stress becomes toxic and toxic stress leads to a breakdown somewhere. That breakdown might be diabetes, it might be high blood pressure. um, And not that toxic stress causes these things, it exacerbates these things. So if your body's already prone to anything, in your your case, some other mental health issues, the the bipolar disorder, that that level of stress is going to bring that on. So we want to try to keep people creating a system for themselves where they can replenish so that they don't allow stress to become chronic, to become toxic, to become deadly on one level or another. It might be quick death or slow death, but um, deadly. And that is so important, but that requires really knowing yourself and knowing what works for you, understanding whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, but you know what ADHD or other neurodiversity issues might um, mean for you. Having support mm-hmm. systems, you know, all of that, and that's what as a as a coach, I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, but I like coaching because it gives me more freedom. You know, as a psychologist, as I said, we diagnose and we treat. Right. So coming to me as a psychologist, you have to be a patient, you have to have a disorder and I have to treat you, especially if I'm using insurance Mm. as a coach. We all can use a coach in life. Right. This is not about you being broken. It's about us helping you find better ways to do things. So coach, you don't have to be broken to come see me. You don't have to have a a disorder. I don't have to consider it a disorder, Um, but you can have some challenges, which we all do. And together, you know, it's coaching is also it's all collaborative, but it's collaborative in a different way. You know, coaching is much more focused on the here and now and a lot more collaborative in terms of uh, these are, you know, what are you struggling with? Let us help you come up with some some suggestions. I also like doing group work. So the packages, the coaching programs that I'm doing right now are group programs because I think it's so powerful to be with other people who are struggling with the same things. And to be able to, I, I know a lot, I can give a lot of education, I have a lot of experience, both personal and professional experience, but I don't have all the experience. So it's nice sometimes right. to have somebody else that says, you know what, this is what I tried. Um, and so I like having expertise from other people living with things, but more than anything, just knowing how good it feels to know that you're not the only one. 
that other people yeah. are going through this. And I really love it when group members start to connect so that they can rely on each other outside of you know the, the support that I'm giving. So if anybody listening is interested in joining a group, I would love for them to contact me. You can find out a lot more about what I offer at my website, draku.com, D-R-A-K-H-U.com. And you can also uh, send me an email at draku at draku.com. Um, I do connect calls. So do a one-on-one where we can talk a little bit more about what you're struggling with and what I might offer so I can try to match you up with the thing that works will work best for you. Um, and you know, the, the last thing I'll say about this program is it also comes with an ebook that I created on organizing your life for ADHD. Mm-hmm. And oh, it's, I love this ebook. It's, it's pretty, which I have a thing for things being pretty. So it's got pictures, I, um, pictures as well as, you know, pretty fonts and all that, but it's really helps people understand and break down things into smaller segments in terms of organizing because setting up those systems is so important for living with peace when you have ADHD. And so the ebook comes with all of the different uh, coaching programs that I offer. It's part of the, the system that you get. You get that, you get goal setting worksheets so, so I can help you. And of course, the superpowers assessment, which we do together so that I can help you figure out if you if it's empathy, if it's hyper-focus, whatever your superpowers are, creativity, and we can use that to help you deal with the challenges. That sounds so interesting. That's something that I'd be very interested in taking just because, you know, I'm just learning that I even have superpowers. So I don't know which one is uh, the better one or, you know, or, or how to harness, you know, it and make something out of it, make something good out of it. Okay. So I think it's, I, it's smart, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Cause I don't, you know, I just, I don't know. Well, one that you talked about already was hyper-focus, right? That, that's that's how, true. Yes, and that is a superpower. Not everybody can sit for hours and focus on something and be productive. So that is a superpower. Right. The, the challenge, like, you know, just every, just about everything else, it can be a gift and a curse. With hyper-focus, you have to make sure that you are balancing and making sure that you do stop and then you do eat. But it, that's a wonderful superpower. Uh, creativity is another one that that's popular. I had one mom who was really frustrated because... Her daughter spent all night painting a bottle um, instead of doing homework, right? Right. So that creativity, but that's something that is, it's so, it's wonderful. Creativity is such a good part of our, our, our world, you know, us as humans, art is such a big part of who we are and expressing, but it's again about balancing and focusing it. But as I said before, using that creativity to study in different ways, to um, do more graphic organizers and things that bring creativity to the study is important. Um, mm-hmm. But it is something that that's how we have innovation. It's, the innovation doesn't happen without creativity. It's about right. it. So, um, and then empathy is another one. Uh, there, there are a few of them, but empathy is another one. Being able to deeply connect with other people so that you right. can fight for them. My little one, that's what they have, empathy. And I think that's going to make them a great lawyer someday right as they want to fight for the rights of people and with adhd you kind of like to argue anyway (laughs) it's like part of it (laughs) yeah um i've learned so much this uh on this episode it was so good talking to you and just 
just teaching me that breathing exercise in the, you know, it's helping me, you know, it helped me remain focused on what you were saying and allow me to sort of formulate, but not forget, um, you know, my own questions. It was like having a real conversation and not, you know, like not where I felt like sort of pressure to present in a certain way. Yeah, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I totally love being here. Thank you so much for having me. I love helping people gain more love for themselves and, and acceptance for who they are So and put systems in place so that they can be the best version of themselves. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. And I just want to touch on one last thing because I did have a question that I forgot or something I wanted to talk about very quickly. Um, there's, I feel like I told myself and allowed my, so, or nobody ever, you know, it was kind of reinforced that I can't do something. Like mm -hmm. I've spent so much time going, I can't, I can't, I can't just because, you know, first of all, I don't like to practice things because I just want to get them, you know? Um, so uh, like, for instance, I always bring up my bass playing. I've, my dad was a musician. He's a drummer. I've always been attracted to playing the bass. I owned guitars and basses my entire life. Why did I just for, learn my first song like three months ago? You know, and when I picked it up, it was like for the first time once I was like, you know what, you can do this. It, it was so intuitive. It was so oh like, God. were you born to do this? Like, you know what I mean? Like it came that naturally and I would pick I'm picking up songs fairly quickly and you know, a lot of those obstacles we put in our own way. Yes, so true. That that can't, right? So I guess lazy and can't mm -hmm. disorder. Mm -hmm. All three of those words gotta go. Um, but yeah. yes, we put our own obstacles up. So to stop thinking, and I love talking about mindset shifts, right? That's another big part of what I do overall is help people make mindset shifts to shift away from can't to what system do I need so that I can, right? Because even somebody who does not have the use of their legs can drive a car. Right. They need a car that is outfitted so that they can use hand controls. Mm -hmm. right? But they can still drive a car. So right. you could say to them, you can't drive a car. Well, you can't drive a conventional car, but that doesn't mean you can't drive a car. So it's really about figuring out what system will work. Right? For some students I've worked with, it's, um, they think they can't do college. No, but maybe not doing five classes in a semester. Maybe you need mm -hmm. to do two or three classes in a semester. It might take you a little longer, but that doesn't mean you won't graduate. You just might not graduate in four years. But I know a whole bunch of people who don't have ADHD that were on the five and six year plan. Right? right? <laughs> so, um, Lots of them. <laughs> exactly. So it's not about you can't. It's about setting up a system so that you can. So for us all to make that, that mindset shift. But part of that is really, again, connecting with empathy right? and asking, well, what's happening? I can't help you set up a system so that you can. If I start with you're lazy, if I stay mm -hmm. at being frustrated with you, right? Mm -hmm. if I'm saying you can't, if you're saying you can't, then there's nowhere to go with those words. That, that, that's the end of the road right there. But when I ask, well, right. well, what's happening? When you try to study, what happens? When you try to focus in class, what happens? When I get curious and connect with empathy, then together mm. we can figure out how we can make whatever your dreams are happen. And you know, that just takes a little more patience. Yes, yes. And I think that's an awesome ending point. And 
what a way to wrap up a, a, a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It has been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for being here, Dr. Aku. 